verse here, just as an aside, not related to the talk. A few weeks ago, our lead pastor, Ryan, mentioned a movie called Free Solo. Who saw this movie? Okay, I'm going to give you a piece of pastoral advice. Never watch this movie. Do not watch this movie. I made a huge mistake and watched it last night. It's about a guy that scaled El Capitan with no ropes. And all night, I tossed and I turned. So I just wanted to explain, if you see me gripping this today, I wanted you to know why. Do not watch it. <sighs> okay, got it out of my system. We've been in a series the last few weeks uh, going through the book of Jonah, and Jonah is the fifth of the minor prophets, and he prophesied in the latter half of the 8th century BC, so a long time. And what's really interesting is Jonah is unique because it's mostly a narrative. So he's not making big proclamations and all these sorts of things. It's telling us an interesting story. Hosea and Amos were also prophets at the same time. And on all three of those books, there's this running theme of God showing God's mercy to other nations. So God calls Jonah to go share this good news of this mercy with the Ninevites. Now, the Ninevites, they were bad people. They, they were often brutal. They disregarded human life and all these sorts of things. And the whole book really is about God's extravagant mercy. But Jonah was disgusted at the idea that, that God would show mercy to people that Jonah felt didn't deserve it. And so when God calls Jonah, he runs. And so he pays the fare to get on this ship. And as he gets on the ship, he goes down into the belly of the ship and he falls asleep. And so God sends a huge storm and the sailors realized it was because of Jonah that this storm was happening. And so they were freaking out and they woke him up. And ironically, the sailors who didn't know the God of Jonah, they acted more in line with God than Jonah did. And they asked him to appeal to the Lord, his God. And he didn't. He was in full-on rebellion. And so he suffers the consequences of, of running. He was tossed overboard, and he sinks to the bottom of the sea. You know the story. Here's the thing that's so ironic, is, is God does for Jonah what God wanted to do for the Ninevites through Jonah. Pretty wild, huh? And so just as Ryan shared a few weeks ago, we see a resentful prophet meets a relentless God. That's the story of Jonah. In chapter one, we see a series of five downs, and I think this is so interesting. He goes down to Joppa. He goes down into the boat. He goes down into the water. He goes down into the bottom of the sea, and ultimately he goes down into the belly of the fish. And as I thought about that, I realized sometimes life feels like that, doesn't it? Like, it's just down, and then down, and then down, and then one hard thing after another happens. For Jonah, it was an act of, act of rebellion that led to this series of downs. And it's really interesting because in this, this pattern of Jonah, we see what seems like a pattern in the Old Testament for Israel, where God calls, and then there's disobedience, and it leads to exile, and eventually repentance and restoration. And we're going to see all of this play out in this book. But for a lot of us, we experience a set of downs and we didn't do anything wrong. We're not running from God and sometimes we feel like we have our back against the wall. So whether it's because we're running from God or just that life's taking us down a, a different path, we can all relate to the way that Jonah must have felt as he was at the bottom of a series 
of downs. We've all experienced feeling scared and being confused and unsure of what to do and feeling like we've hit rock bottom and stuck and like we're trapped in the belly of a fish. Who's with me? We've been there. Interestingly, this is sort of the human experience that Jesus modeled for us, the death, burial, and resurrection. And we're going to see that this is the pattern in Jonah as well, that he neared death, he entered the belly of the fish, and then he came back to dry land. So today, I want to talk to those of you who feel like you're stuck in the belly of the fish, whatever that is for you. And whether it's because you're running from God and you're facing the consequences of that, or you simply can't explain why, but life right now just feels like a series of down, down, down. And I also want to talk to those of us in this room who've experienced a, a, a low, a belly of the fish moment in life where you felt like all was lost and you lived to tell about it. So let's dive into Jonah's experience in the belly of the fish. And I want to see what we can learn and how it applies to our own belly of the fish moment. So I'm just going to invite you to turn with me to Jonah. And we're going to start in verse, one, in verse 17 of chapter 1. And the reason is it really sets up the story. And in the Hebrew scriptures, it's actually verse 17 of our Bible is chapter 2, verse 1. Here we go. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish how long? Three days and three nights. I love the language here. The Lord what? Provided. The Lord provided this fish, and God instructed the fish to swallow him. That's really, really important. Pay attention to that. The, the scripture says he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And in the Hebrew scriptures, it doesn't always literally mean three days and three nights. It just means it was a long time, but not too long. But I can't help but remember the scripture that Ryan pointed out last week, Matthew 12, 40. And this is Jesus talking. Now, what does he say? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish... So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, think about that. Three days, three nights in the belly of this fish. Imagine how Jonah must have felt. It was dark. It was musty. It smelled like bad sushi. <laughs> and he was probably confused and asking himself, am I dead? And I'm sure for a while it really did feel like his death. I mean, how much worse could it be? He had the, the series of five downs. There was no place that he could go. And his goal was to get as far away from God as possible. And I'm sure never in a million years did he imagine that that place would be in the belly of a fish. And maybe for him, it felt like the end of the road, the worst case scenario. And it would be easy to look at this and to go, well, this is just the punishment that you got from God for being in rebellion and running from God, right? But here's what we know to be true. Listen, the fish was his salvation, not his punishment. Chew on that for a moment. The fish was his salvation, not his punishment. The belly of a whale, well, it was God's provision for his salvation. And I think it's really interesting that the heart of the earth, a tomb, a cave, was God's provision for ours. Isn't that cool? So Jonah was an unrepentant prophet. He wanted to get as far away from God as he possibly could. And in the process of doing so, he actually found himself protected by God. He tried to run as far as he could, and he fell right into the hands, the loving, protective hands of God. And I think this is true for us, that often what feels like our grave is what God uses to save us. 
Maybe you've experienced this. You've, you've been in a dead-end job and you feel like you're going nowhere. Or maybe you've had a loss of identity or maybe even a loss of everything. And it feels like punishment. Here's what I would ask. What if, if, if in that dark moment, that impossible situation, that God has us positioned in such a way that we can grow and become who God created us to be? I mean, what if instead of being restricted by our circumstances, God's using them to push us in a direction that we otherwise never would have gone? I'm not so naive uh, as to not realize it is really hard when you're in the belly of the fish to think like, oh, maybe God's using this for good. It's not all that easy. But what if? So Jonah, three days in silence, in confusion, and then slowly realizing, wait a second, I must be alive. And as we'll see from Jonah's prayers in just a moment, he came to understand that he was alive. And he came to realize that instead of this moment being punishment for him, being in the belly of the fish, as restrictive as it was, was actually the safest place that he could be. So let's pick it up. Jonah chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. It's interesting language here. He said the Lord his God. It's personal at this point. In chapter 1, the captain of the boat says, pray to the Lord, your God. And Jonah did not do that. And we see the consequences of this. But we see uh, Jonah responds and prays personally to the Lord, his God. And he found himself in this situation where he realized that God had saved him. He realized that he was alive and that he wasn't dead. And he had nowhere to go. And at this point where he was at the bottom, he chose to, to talk to God. Now, before we get into the prayer, I just want to point out sort of an interesting uh, observation for those of us who are Bible nerds. Um, what he does in his prayer here actually is quoting a bunch of psalms. And take a look at, I'm not going to give all of them, I just wanted to give a handful, but these are the psalms that Jonah is actually quoting as a part of his prayer. And there's a lot more than this, but for, for space sake, I just wanted to point out that Jonah is, is actually borrowing some words here. And I have to be honest that as I studied for this, it frustrated me. Because I think every time we come to the scriptures, if you're honest, you're trying to see how it speaks to you. Am I right? Like, this is neat, and it's cool, and I want to learn about this, but also, what does this have to say to me? And it frustrated me that in this moment, Jonah didn't use his own words. Like, I'm not seeing him saying what he feels. And so I had to ask the question, like, is his heart tender? Is he pliable? Does he want to hear from God, or is he just going through the motions? But here's the truth. Sometimes when we're at rock bottom, we, we struggle to find our words, don't we? I mean, sometimes when our back's against the wall, we have nothing left to give. And I'll tell you, as someone who's been a pastor for over 20 years, I've spent a lot of time in the hospital with people who are going through unspeakable tragedies. And I cannot tell you the pressure that I feel when I walk into a room and someone's hooked up to a ventilator or received a bad, not bad diagnosis or whatever it might be, the pressure I feel to say some magic string of words that makes it all better. But here's what I've learned to be true. Sometimes the best thing to say is I'm so sorry and I'm here with you. And that's it. Listen, if you feel like you're in the belly of the whale today, Sometimes we need to borrow words from those who've gone before us, and that's okay. There's a little prayer book called the, the Book of Common Prayer, and it's filled with prayers. And I've used that for weddings and funerals and all kinds of things. 
And on Sundays, I, I read what's called the Collect, which is, a, is just a prayer that someone wrote. And sometimes I borrow that and I speak it verbatim. And it's amazing because someone who's gone before me has these words. Sometimes that's all that we have. And so Jonah knew the Psalms, surprise, as Israel's prayer book. And these Psalms were written by people. One of the things I love about the Psalms is it shows the full range of human emotions. People who are mad, scared, frustrated, exuberant, all of those things all at once. And so Jonah, I just wonder if he leaned into the words of those who'd gone on before him, words he was taught his entire life because he was at rock bottom and he had nothing left to give. One more thing that we'll see is that these aren't psalms of lament. They could have been. These are actually psalms of thanksgiving. And it's, it's not exactly what I imagine I would use when my back was against a whale. I mean, a wall. See what I did there? All right, verse 2. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. So for the beginning of this prayer, he acknowledged his predicament and God's provision and he sort of summarized what happened. He was found in distress and God answered. And he uses really poetic language here. He says uh, he was in the deep in the realm of the dead. That's a way of saying as good as dead. And he asked for help, and the Lord heard his cry. And the language shifts from telling us about him for, to him talking directly to God, saying, you heard my cry. Look at verse 3 through 6. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But listen, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Now here Jonah gives a couple of examples of how bad he had it in this moment. And, and the first one is talking about the waters were swirling and the, the waves were breaking Breakers, if, if you've never been to the ocean or never been pounded on by the ocean, breakers are these big waves that pour over the top of you over and over again. And we used to live near Tampa, right on the Gulf of Mexico, and you really didn't get the big waves, unless there was a bad storm, and then you shouldn't be in the water. But if you've ever went to the Atlantic Ocean or the Pacific Ocean, sometimes they're big, unruly, scary waves, aren't they? They're not, they're not something to, to brush off. Like, they can be dangerous and scary. Years ago, my family and I, we went to a, a water park, and it was one of those water parks where it had a wave pool, where it had some kind of technology that created these artificial waves, and you could get in and bob around, and it was really nice, and it was really fun. And I don't know if the machine was broken or what happened, but these waves were like epic waves. I mean, bam, and they're just nailing me. My youngest son was with me, and he had a, a, like a life jacket thing on. He's just bobbing, but I did not have my life jacket, and I started noticing these waves are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and pounding on me, and I lost my footing, and now I have nothing to connect me to the bottom of this thing, and I had wave after wave after wave hitting me. I could not get my head above water, and it felt a lot like, like this. Huh. Seriously, though, I thought I was going to drown, and I feel like nobody was looking at me, and I knew my son would be okay because he had a life jacket on, and I didn't, and the waves just kept 
crashing over me, and I don't know how, but eventually I was able to get out from under the waves, and when I got back to the edge of the pool, I was completely and totally exhausted. It's a precarious place to be when the breakers are hitting us. But in the midst of that, Jonah expresses confidence that he'll look again at God's holy temple. And he can only do this by staying in this place of of praise and remembering that God has shown mercy before and that God will again show mercy. And in the second part of this, he talks about how the waters threatened him and surrounded him and that, that he had sunk so low and that seaweed was wrapped around his head. And really he's saying that he sank as low as he could go. And even still, he praised God that God had brought him up from the pit. And I have to be honest and say, this really challenged me. Because I think when my back's against the wall, when I'm at the, in the belly of my fish, it, it's easy for me to cry out to God and to complain and to ask for help. And, and I can do that really well. But then when I'm out of it, when things are better and I get out of the pool, I often forget to stop and take inventory of what happened in my heart and in my life and to thank God for bringing me out of it. Let's look at verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. This is the rock bottom moment. And I want you to pay attention to that language, how he says, uh, when my life was what? Ebbing away. He found himself nearing death, uh, barely alive, crying out to God. Have you ever felt that way? You ever felt a moment where you just want to say, I don't know if I can take this anymore. I don't know if I have anything left to give. I just don't see how I can survive this. In that moment, we see that Jonah remembered God and lifted his prayers to God. There's a quote I ran across recently. Maybe you've heard it, but it says this. So far, you've survived 100% of your worst days. You're doing great. It's kind of funny, but it's really a great reminder. Listen, if you're stuck, it's a great reminder that you've survived all of the hard things that have happened to you in your life. And that God has saved before, and God will save again. And maybe for some of us in this room, we're at a place where our back's against the wall, and we have nothing left to give but to cry out to God. And we think, well, somehow crying is not spiritual. It's not healthy. It's being a wimp. Well, I, I beg to differ. I think crying is natural. And I love what the great author Charlotte Bronte says. She says, crying doesn't indicate that you're weak. Since birth, it has always been a sign that you're alive. I have friends that had a baby this week and went to the hospital. And I went into the wrong part of the hospital. I went into the, the birthing place. And the very first room that was there, I heard a kid screaming its little head off. This is what babies do when they're first born. But it's a really good thing to hear that sound, isn't it? For those of us who've been in a room and heard a child born, there's life to be heard. Crying is good. Look at verse 8. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. That's really interesting language because I think for most of us, we would think, well, I don't cling to worthless idols, so I don't know how to relate to this. But I can tell you as a pastor, I've spent a lot of time with people whose life is ebbing away from cancer or disease or some sort of thing. And I've never one time in 22 years of ministry, I've never seen someone, as they were nearing death, cling to their stuff. Not once. I've never seen them holding that thing that they love so much. It's, instead, it's always like family. 
They're clinging to family, to friends, to happy memories. And for many, faith in God and this hope that there's, there's something more than this thing, this, this dot at the end of our lives. And so for Jonah, he had this realization that God was his only hope. And that those worthless idols, the things that many people might cling to and pray that in a moment when his belly was in the, when his, when his back was in the belly of a, of a fish, oh, and those things would do nothing for him. For us, maybe when things are hard, we buy stuff or we drink too much or we sleep around or we numb ourselves or we hurt ourselves or like Jonah, we run away. But look at me, Listen. In the end, you know this to be true, that those things always leave us empty. And sometimes they leave us worse off than where we found ourselves to begin with. Here's what Jonah shows us. When we find ourselves in the belly of the fish, we should remember that God is our only hope. When we find ourselves in the belly of the fish, we should remember that God is our only hope. Not things. Not money, not possessions, but God. Look at verse 9. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. But I think it's interesting that at the end of this, he's overwhelmed with gratitude. And his response to all of this, of pouring his soul out, even though he borrowed the words from others, was gratitude and action. He gave shouts of grateful praise. He, he said, I will sacrifice to you. And he acknowledged that salvation comes from the Lord. And I'll be honest, that last part is really hard for me because I'm very independent. I don't want to have to depend on anybody for anything. And I feel like no matter what the situation, I should be able to, to figure it out. But listen, if that's you, maybe a practice for those of us who are uber independent types, maybe a practice is to start with gratitude and acknowledgement that salvation comes from God alone and not from our own hand. It's a lot of pressure, friends, to put salvation from any situation on your hands. And it's a measure of faith to say, I'm just going to trust that God is going to do what God's going to do here and provide and take care. So that finishes Jonah's prayer. And finally, look at verse 10. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Who's ready for lunch? So at God's command, the the fish spit him out, and he wasn't really necessarily at a better place than when he first started, but he was at least back on dry land. And I don't want to skip too far ahead in this because we have a couple more weeks um, in this series, but in the next couple of verses, we see the pattern change. Because instead of calling and disobedience, we see calling and obedience. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. So this is after the fish spits him out. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim, it, proclaim to it the message I gave you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, there's a lot to learn here about Thanksgiving and borrowing words when we don't have them and remembering that God is our true salvation. But I'll be honest with you. Sometimes writing a sermon comes fairly easily. Sometimes it comes harder. And one of the reasons it's a struggle sometimes is... is I always want to feel like I'm personally connected to it in some way, that I could see myself in this story. And I think if we're honest, we would look at this passage and go, boy, if I went through everything that Jonah went through, I would be pouring my heart out to God. And in a way, he did. We did see that. But I was frustrated with this, and it was really hard. Why, Larry? Why was it so hard? I'm so glad you asked me this question. 
it's because I don't see a major transformation or repentance here. I mean, the big boom transformation or repentance. At no point in the story do I see Jonah say, yeah, you're right, I was wrong. And I looked at this, I read, I prayed, I agonized over this, I had conversations with people. I was looking for the boom moment, that moment of repentance, this big moment of transformation. And for those of us who feel like our back's against the wall, I can promise you, if your back has ever been against the wall, you want the boom moment where you get out of all of it, don't you? We want it to all be better like that. And as I meditated on this, my frustration subsided, and I started leaning in and going, what is this saying? And then I thought about the way that God moves in my own life and in the lives of almost everybody that I know, and here's what I remembered. Transformation almost often comes through small little changes, not massive explosions. There are people that come to faith in Christ, and it's boom, overnight, they're a completely different person. We probably all know somebody like that. It wasn't like that for me. It probably wasn't like that for most of us. Most people that I know, even when they met Jesus, it was a process that they followed. It took time. And that's completely and totally normal. See, all too often we want transformation to be bang, and then it all gets better. But that's rarely how it works. My friend and I, we like to joke about winning the lottery and how amazing that would be. I know every person in this room has thought about that. Well, here's what I would do. And you you find yourself at the end of a 30-minute conversation that's just ridiculous. I mean, you know, at this point you have four islands that you own. You bought Jurassic Park. You got rid of all the dinosaurs. You made it awesome. It's great. You helicoptered over to it. All these sort of things in the land of fairy tales, all these things that we want. But here's the truth. Growth and rescue doesn't happen like that. And if you're in debt, you probably don't get out of debt overnight. You didn't get into debt overnight. It's over time. And I realized that I can have the things that I want, that God is always pulling me forward. But to get what I want, I have to develop and invest in habits over time. It's a consistent investment over time that brings growth and transformation. I've been reading this amazing book called Atomic Habits. If you're a reader, you've got to get this book. It's, it's one of those, like, once every 10 years, a big book comes along, and everybody's talking about it. It's, it's pretty amazing. But listen to what the author says. He says, a slight change in your daily habits can guide your life to a very different destination. Making a choice daily that's 1% better or 1% worse seems insignificant in the moment, but over the span of moments that make up a lifetime, these choices determine the difference between who you are, listen, and who you could be. All too often when our back is against the, the wall, we don't see the big miraculous salvation right in front of us. We want to give up. But the author shows this, this chart that's really interesting and he talks about how we, we, what we think should happen is this, it gets just better consistently over time. But really, with the consistent investment, with practices that we put in, there's a dip, and he calls it the valley of disappointment. And right here, if you can see, there's a huge upturn, but most of us give up before we ever get there. I think that's true when it comes to our faith as well. That consistent investment into our faith our relationship with Jesus over time. And when our back hits the wall, we wait and eventually we see God show up. So with Jonah, his transformation was subtle. And it looked a little like that, but it was there. And I see it in his words and in his actions, his attitude. He emulated others with his word. He committed to doing something and he went when God, when God called him 
again. Now, I know here's the question that you're asking. What is the path of transformation that we should take in the belly of the fish? Well, what I want to do as, we, as our time moves to a close is I want to walk us through some steps we can take when we feel like our back is against the belly of the fish. Six things, and I'm going to really encourage you to write these six things down and to chew on these things and see what God might have you to do with these things. The first one is this. Put practices in place ahead of time when things are good that will sustain us when they're not. Put practices in place ahead of time. This is why we talk so much about spiritual practices. They're a a necessary and critical step in our formation. This is why recovery groups have uh, steps that they take, a process that they can put in place to guide them and have a path to follow when things get tough. Jonah had obviously spent time with the scriptures well before he was in a bind. So don't wait until your back is against the wall to then try to figure out how to walk out of it. Start now with practices that give you something to draw from when the going gets hard. Root yourself in the scriptures. Drink from that regularly. Connect with God. Meditate, pray, go for walks. Do things to posture yourself to hear from God so when you need it, it's there. The second one is choose gratitude. Now, it's easy to praise when things are going well. It takes courage and faith to praise when all seems lost. And I think this is true, that thanksgiving orients us to the reality that God has moved before and will move again. And so even in the moment, if you're not feeling it, call upon what you've known from the past and utter praise and thanksgiving to orient you to the fact that God will move again. Number three, remember that God is our only hope. Not our stuff, not all those things, but God alone. Number four, there's nothing spiritual about borrowing words from those who've gone before us. Sometimes you don't have the words to say. Just borrow them. Number five, commit to taking a step. Just do something. Jonah said, I will fulfill my vow. He made a commitment. And number six, obey when God says go. And I don't know whether it's going to be in a minute after you pray or in a year or in 10 years, but at some point, God will give you, here's your next step. The fish may spit you out of its mouth. I don't know how it works for you. Everyone's different. But when you hear that, have the courage to take that step. And listen, obey when God says go. There are some things that you can do now and you can do when you feel like you've hit rock bottom. And so I just want to leave you with this question. What about you? We talked a lot about Jonah. We looked at Jonah's story. We looked at Jonah's life. We looked at this moment that's scary. And we realized that we find ourselves in similar situations. And if you haven't yet, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you will. Because that's how life works. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I want you to reflect on this. I'm going to put that slide up one more time of the six things that you can do. And for some of us, your step is we need to stop running from God. You know, the best time to stop the series of downs that are coming from running from God is the moment you realize you're doing it. The second best time is now. Chances are, if you're running from God, you realize it, and you know you should stop, but you haven't. Choose now. Stop running from God. And I just want to remind you that God is patient. 
God is compassionate. God is slow to anger. God is abounding in love. And I want to remind you of the beautiful poetic part of this story that God ended up doing for Jonah what he wanted to use Jonah to do for the Ninevites. And that was to show his unwavering compassion and mercy. And so if you're telling yourself this lie that God's through with you, listen to me, that you've done, what you've done is so bad that God can't forgive you, it's time to stop running and come home. And so if you're running, stop and allow yourself to, as Jonah did, experience the lavish mercy and the grace of God. And take these steps to get back on the right track. For others in this room, maybe you aren't running from God, but you feel like you're in the belly of the fish right now. I'm going to encourage you to follow these steps and let God do his work in you and you do yours and invest now into the things that will allow God to lead you out of the belly of the fish. And then for those of us in this room who've been in the belly of the fish and we've lived to tell about it, I just want to challenge you and encourage you this morning to come alongside others who are struggling and encourage them and support them, give them words to say, and remind them that they're going to get through it because you've personally experienced it yourself. And so my question for you is, what's your next step? Maybe you need to put some practices in place in your life, just little practices, and consistently pour into those over time. Maybe it's choosing gratitude. Maybe it's remembering that God is your only hope. Maybe it's borrowing words from another. Maybe it's committing to take another step. And for all of us, maybe it's go when God says go. I don't know what it is for you, but my prayer is that you'd run into the loving arms of God and that your rock bottom would be the launch pad for something spectacular in your lives. Let's pray. Lord, every person in this room knows what it feels like to be at rock bottom at some point. And I think that we can look into this story of Jonah that you provided for us and see ourselves in it. I love that about your scriptures, how we can look and learn about other people who've gone before us, but we also see what you've done in their lives, and that can build faith in our own lives. So Lord, I just thank you that you're good, even when it's scary. And that even when our back is against the wall, we can trust that you are up to good things. Lord, you've given us some steps to take, and I just pray that those listening would take that to heart, as they would meditate and reflect on your goodness and who you are. They would remember that you love them, that your desire is to show mercy, and that even when their back feels against the wall, that you've not left them, you've not forsaken them, that you're constantly wooing us. So give us wisdom into the steps that we should take. And Lord, my prayer is that as we respond in that wisdom, we'd have the courage just to obey and to follow hard after you. We ask all of these things in the strong, the powerful, the merciful, loving, kind words of Jesus. And together this church said,